Don't miss it. Don't miss my flipping family. January 6th and 7th, we kick it off. Some of the messages are called Curb Appeal. That's on dating. Fixer Upper is uh, on marriage. <laughs> but it's going to be a lot of fun and a lot of learning and just growing as, uh, as people in general with, with relationships can be really tough. So don't miss it. My flipping family coming in January. Welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. I want to welcome those of you who are at White Bear today, Lionel Lake, Spring Lake Park, Blaine, Anoka, Woodbury, and our new Wyzetta campus coming in March. Welcome to all of you. I also want to welcome those of you who are online today. Uh, you're as much a part of our congregation as those of us who are gathered at one of our campuses. So welcome to all of you. And Merry Christmas, everybody. Awesome to have you join us today. I want to begin with a question for you just to think about. Don't raise any hands on this, but how many of you realize that your life will never be perfect? Far from perfect. Um, some of you might even have an image of what a perfect Christmas would be like, but really there is no such thing as a perfect Christmas. Someone will get mad in your family or friendships along the way and won't show up. Someone might drink too much or complain too much. Someone might hog the remote or turn a friendly discussion into an argument. Or maybe for some of you, you've been waiting for something like an acceptance letter or a healthy diagnosis, or a positive pregnancy test, and it's just not happening. Maybe this Christmas is especially hard for some of you because a loved one is no longer here. And so every Christmas from now on, there's going to be a gap in your life and around the table. I think Christmas sometimes is a reminder that life isn't perfect. Several years ago, I wanted to get a fire ring for our backyard, but of course, I didn't want to buy one. I wanted to manufacture one myself, so while I was hunting out in South Dakota, I found an old metal feeding trough in an abandoned barnyard that even had a hole in the bottom of it for ventilation, so on Christmas Day, I tried my new fire ring out. I, I put it on the back deck, actually, the wooden back deck, set it on a couple of bricks, and that hold for ventilation would work just fine. And I made a beautiful fire right outside our sliding glass door for everybody to enjoy. And gang, it was great uh, for a while. Perfect setting to a perfect Christmas day. The kids were home. David and his wife, Sarah, were with us. Megan and her husband, Nellie, were there. A couple hours later, we decided to take a family walk, and we often do that on holidays, and I thought, you know, we could just let the fire burn itself out, but my son-in-law, Nellie, said, you, you better take the fire off the deck. You don't want to burn the house down while we're gone. So my son, David, and I got two big sticks to lift the thing off the deck, and there it was, a big hole in our deck that was on fire. Nellie, who was watching through the kitchen window and sipping eggnog, <laughs> smiled and said to my wife, uh, your deck's on fire. And that's just how he said it. Your deck's on fire. My wife came over and very calmly said, yep, it's on fire all right with a big hole in it. Uh, Meg and Sarah started laughing inside the kitchen there. So while Dave and I are outside trying to put my deck out of fire, this laughter and ridicule is going on inside. And one of the things I've noticed, and it's become more frequent as I've gotten older, is my wife will sometimes just look at me and say, what's wrong with you? I mean, two, three times a day. What's wrong with you? 
Any of you married men, can you relate to this? What's wrong with you? Just, just I don't know, I don't even hear it sometimes, it's so frequent. It's kind, of a, it's, kind of a dumb, it's kind of a dumb question because clearly many things, many things are wrong with me, but I wonder today if there's a hole not in some of your decks, but maybe in your life or in your relationships or in your finances. See, I think Christmas is a reminder that sometimes things aren't always perfect. But here's what I believe, that no matter how imperfect your life or my life might be right now, gang, God has a plan for your life. He does. God has a purpose for your life on planet Earth. He really does. By the way, the first Christmas was far from perfect. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. Matthew writes, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, in other words, you know, before they came together, <laughs> she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit, which is weird, because Joseph was a righteous man, but because he was a righteous man, an honorable man, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he decided to divorce her quietly. I want to stop right there real quick. Joseph was an honorable man in every way. He, was, he honored God as a carpenter at work. He honored God in the relationship with the woman he was planning to marry. So honorable that he and Mary had committed themselves to total sexual purity in their courtship and total sexual purity in their engagement. But then his life took a bad turn. Mary tells him point blank that she's pregnant, and before she finishes the sentence, Joseph feels sick to his stomach, and he knows his plans for a perfect life are over. Mary mumbles words that she hasn't been with another man and that the pregnancy is somehow a God thing, but the feelings of betrayal swirl in Joseph's spirit. But from there, it actually got worse. Because the moment Jesus was born, they were on the run. Matthew continues in chapter 2. He says, when, when King Herod heard the news of Jesus' birth, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. There were no baby showers. There was no celebration. The Bible says all of Jerusalem was disturbed at the news of Jesus' birth. Matthew goes on to write that when Jesus was born, King Herod plotted to kill him because Herod had heard that there was a new king that had been born in Bethlehem, and that was a threat to him. And so Mary and Joseph fled to Egypt. You can read this in Matthew chapter 2 as refugees until Herod ended up dying. But when they came back to their home, they couldn't go home to Jerusalem because Herod's evil son was now sitting on the throne. So they withdrew to Galilee and ended up in a little town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was so bad that people used to say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It'd be like saying, can anything good come out of New Jersey? I mean, if you're watching from there, sorry, but <laughs> had to say it. But as you read this story, there's nothing good about it. Mary was a teenager whose pregnancy was a public disgrace and a family embarrassment. As soon as Jesus was born, they fled 200 miles on foot to escape the sword of Herod. And when I was reading this, this last week, I, I just wrote on my notepad, pad, Jesus' parents were teenage kids who were alone, afraid, and homeless. 
They had no family or job. They were refugees who were forced into hiding and had to beg for food to stay alive. In other words, their life was not perfect, but God still had a plan. What Joseph and Mary didn't know and couldn't see was that God had actually chosen them to raise the Savior of the world. Imagine that. To raise the Son of God, the one who would bring redemption to humanity and change all of history. In fact, 2,000, more than 2,000 years later, over 2 billion people on planet Earth are worshiping Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and God, the Son of Mary and Joseph. What I'd like to do in the next few minutes is show you that when life's not perfect, God still has a plan for you. He really does. When life's not perfect, God still has a plan, and you can still count on three promises. The first one is this. You don't have to be afraid. Honestly, a lot of us are afraid of things. We live in fear. But the Bible tells us over and over again, you don't have to live in fear. In fact, right after the angel told Joseph that she was pregnant, the angel said in the second verse, an angel of the Lord came to him in a dream and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. At the lowest point in Joseph's life, the first thing God said to him was, don't be afraid. I mean, God knew this was going to feel like a sucker punch to Joseph. So God came to him in a dream and said, don't be afraid. Mary's pregnancy, I know you don't understand it, but it's supernatural. And gang, that dream must have been so powerful and so real to Joseph that he simply chose to trust God. I mean, what else could he do? And this is so important. In the middle of his uncertainty, Joseph chose to trust God. And I wonder if you and I will. When life is uncertain, when life isn't perfect, will we choose to trust God? Because the thing that causes the most fear in my life is uncertainty. You know, I'm uncertain about my future, my health, my kids, my ability to keep leading and teaching well. Maybe for you, it's uncertainty about a job. Or will you find someone to marry or will you have enough money? I think uncertainty is the fuel for fear. I really do. We're uncertain about things. We don't know what's coming around the corner. Uncertainty is often the fuel for fear. But gang, that's life. Isn't it? Life, life is absolutely uncertain. Nobody knows what's around the corner. And honestly, what it comes down to with all of life's uncertainties is this. Who or what are you going to trust? And I just want to ask you today, if you haven't done it, will you? Will you? Will you begin putting your trust, your full trust, no matter what happens in your life, will you trust in the God who loves you and knows you? And cares about your life. You don't have to walk in fear. Jesus said it this way. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Isn't this true? This could be my life verse. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus, take heart. Even if the job falls through, the marriage fails, and the diagnosis is, is awful. Jesus, don't be afraid because I have overcome the world. And so will each of you for those of you who choose to trust him. So the first promise is we don't have to live in fear. The second promise is we can be saved from our sins. Just right after the angel spoke to Joseph about Mary's pregnancy, 
The very next thing the angel said is this, Mary will give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus, means Savior, because he will save people from their sins. I don't know if, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a sin problem in this world, isn't there? Seems like everybody is angry. People are fighting, they're broken, they're at odds with each other, but it's not just out there. Honestly, there's elements of sin inside of me. There's elements of sin, even in my family. There's elements inside sin inside you and inside me. It's sort of like my dog, Blue. Now, some of you are laughing because over the past four years, I've told you about our dog, who's an absolute sinner. He's a total sinner. He's torn up books and furniture, and he's kind of through that stage. But he is so bad that my wife has said, Bob, never again. Never again. And she can say that, you know, but that's not happening. But my wife will, will, not, will no longer even sit on the couch with me because our dog has basically ruined it. So he and I sit on the couch together. And he stretches out in the most unflattering ways. He, he scratches and licks and leaves a trail of dirt wherever he goes. But I love this dog. That stuff doesn't bother me. And he's a hunting machine. I just, I just love him to death. But two months ago, at 3 o'clock in the morning, he ran off. He's never done this before. I let him go out. I heard him kind of making some noise down the kitchen, and I knew he had to go out, so I let him out, and I walked out with him, three in the morning. And I was out there kind of in my shorts, <laughs> and he took off. And there's a big swamp behind our, our house. There's kind of a big yard and then a woods and this, this big swamp area. And I stood there yelling and whistling for my dog at three in the morning. And my first thought is, what am I going to tell all of you? And then my, my next thought was, I've lost my dog. And I felt sick. It actually overwhelmed me. So I went back in the house. I put on some clothes. I grabbed a light. And I went searching up and down the swamp for two hours in the dark. I yelled, Blue, come. Come here, boy. Bluey, come. For two hours, I searched. Gang, from day one, I have loved this dog. I chose him. I trained him. I let him sleep on our couch. He's a part of our life. Five hours later, we got a call from somebody a mile away, way across Portland Avenue. It's a busy street where he'd never been before. And they said, we got a chocolate lab here. He's full of mud. He's full of briars. He's a mess. But I wasn't mad. I was just so relieved and grateful. I would have done anything to find him. I would have walked two hours, and I did, through a swamp. I whistled. I yelled. I even prayed. I drove through neighborhoods and asked total strangers to keep an eye out for this dog. And when the call finally came, I was completely overjoyed for a smelly dog who broke all the rules and sinned badly against his master. I was overjoyed. But honestly, I'm no different. Honestly. I am as defiant. I can be as defiant and selfish as anybody. I have said things and done things that are embarrassingly sinful. And so the angel said to Joseph, his name will be Jesus. He will save people from their sins. 
He'd be born through a supernatural birth because that's how God had to come into the world. He would experience the stress of being human. He would be rejected and betrayed by some of his closest friends. Then he would be beaten for crimes he did not commit and be executed on a Roman cross, only to rise three days later and beat the curse of death. Jesus did all that to chase you down and chase me down. And save us from our sins. Gang, do you know him? Is he in your life? Is he your savior, God and king? By the way, all of us have run from God. Some of us at three in the morning, some at three in the afternoon. And I'm telling you, only God could save a bunch of sinners like us, like me. Only the perfect son of God could take on and pay for all the sins that you and I and all of humanity have committed against him. And so he went willingly to a cross and he paid with his blood because sin demands a payment and Jesus did it for anyone who would receive that payment. He gives the gift of eternal life. The angel said, you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. Anybody here need to be saved from sins done by you or done to you? Anyone wish you could be set free from shame or regret and forgiven of all wrongs done? The Bible says it this way, that God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ came to save us. While we were still running from God and breaking God's heart, God sent Jesus to search for and save you and me. You may say, Bob, I'm not running from God. (laughs) I'm just living life. Well, so is my dog. He was just living life. But if you're living without Jesus, I'm telling you, if you're living without forgiveness, it's just a matter of time before you end up lost and alone. And some of you here, some of you watching online, that's how you feel. You feel lost and alone and dinged up by life. And Jesus said, I can heal you of that if you'll let me in. There's a God who's calling your name. He wants for you to come home. His name is Jesus. He alone can save us from whatever sin, whatever loss or failure we might have. And I wonder, I just wonder if today might be the day that some of you will find your way back home. So when life's not perfect, you don't have to be afraid, gang. You don't. You can trust in the God who loves you. You can be saved from sins. And the third thing is this. You never have to be alone. This is so good. Because so many of us feel lonely. You never have to feel alone or be alone again. In fact, 800 years before Jesus came, there was a prophet, Isaiah. You can read about him in the Bible. The prophet Isaiah, 800 years before Christ came, said this. There will come to earth a Messiah, and he will be an everlasting father to you. In fact, Isaiah wrote these very words to us. He prophesied that there will be a son. He will be born, a son is given, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting 
Father, it means that you and I never have to be alone again. I realize at Christmas, this is a big family time, and it is in our house as well, and a lot of gifts, a lot of laughter, just a lot of fun in our family during Christmas and good food. But I want to tell you about my daughter, Meg, because there's something about a dad and his daughter that's unlike anything in the world. I love her so much that when it comes time for us to leave, we kind of have to do it quick, where I just fall apart. Back in August of 2004, Meg was leaving home for college. It was one of the hardest days of my life, and I'll never forget it was a Saturday, and I was getting ready to come to church to speak. And I walked past her bedroom, and there she was, standing over a pile of flip-flops. She loved flip-flops back in high school. And she had chosen them from her closet and trying to figure out which ones to bring with her to college. And she stood there, I'll never forget it, with her hair in a ponytail and T-shirt and sweatpants. And as I walked past her door, I saw the sadness in her big brown eyes, and I just melted. Because every day for 18 years, she had slept in her bedroom next to ours. Every night we prayed together and said goodnight. Every morning before school, we would hear her hair dryer and her music. And every day, she would come home to her bedroom and her flip-flops, and now she was having them in a pile getting ready to leave home. Neither of us said a word. I walked into her room, and I, I just held her as closely as I could. I kissed her forehead. Her tears stained my light green shirt, and I could barely speak because my little girl was leaving home. And all I could say was, Meg, this will always be your room. I'll always be your dad. This will always be your home. And she nodded, and then I had to go. Four years later, she brought a boy home from college to see if I thought he was good enough for her to marry. He stood in my living room with a crooked ball cap and earrings, and I felt like crying again. <laughs> and I have no problem with guys wearing earrings. I really don't. Knock yourself out if that's your deal. <laughs> Turns out he was perfect for Meg. Nellie's a great husband, a great dad. He went to med school, became a radiologist. He's a devoted follower of Christ. And together they're raising their two little daughters. I'm so proud of who he is. But my point in all this is I will always be Meg's dad, but even I can't be an everlasting father to her. Some of you have never had a real dad. Some of you had an absent dad. Some of you even had an abusive dad. And so there's always been a longing inside you for a father to love you and be there for you. And the great news of Christmas is that Jesus came to be an everlasting father to you who will never leave you, 
He'll never forsake you. It's something Tara Hobbs had to discover. Tara grew up in the Twin Cities, went to White Bear High School, but church and faith really weren't a part of her life much. But when Tara was 12, her worst fear came true and her dad was taken from her. And so I want you to hear her story because Tara has a great story. So listen to it, let God speak, then we'll come up and finish out. One of the things I love about soccer is that I could really just kind of be in my own element. Soccer was the only place that I felt free and that I could be myself. It was where I felt that people saw me as like somebody. I played soccer at Wiper Lake High School and uh, we had a lot of success and had a lot of individual success as well. So I got recruited to go play for the Gophers. I had a very successful four years at the University of Minnesota. Um, we won two Big Ten championships when I was there, um, competed in the NCAA tournament. I had a blast. As a kid, I was really close with my dad. He had a really big impact on my life, and he's someone that I felt like I could really, truly connect with. And we kind of just fed off of each other, and I was his buddy, and we did everything together. But then 10 years ago, on December 19th, my dad was killed by a drunk driver. I talked to him about 30 minutes before the accident. He was out Christmas shopping. He asked me if I wanted him to come home. And I said, no, it's okay. When he didn't come home, I felt like it was my fault. And if I would have said, yes, dad, like I want you to come home, maybe things would have been a little different. I was 12 years old, and so I was old enough to understand my dad passed away, but then I was young enough that I didn't know how to handle it. I felt a piece of me died. Um, I felt a piece of me just um, disappeared, so I kind of shut down for a really long time, and then I was like, okay, Soccer and sports, that's going to be my life now. So I found my identity in that, and I would practice four or five hours a day. I would be at the soccer field, jumping on any team that I could find, just to try to avoid, and avoid anything that related to my father. I wanted just to not talk about it, and I wanted it to go away. Soccer was everything to me, so it got to a point where it was very unhealthy and I felt I was in a really dark place, and it just kept getting darker over the years, I think, and I never wanted to deal with it. The harder I trained, the emptier I felt, and my academics started to kind of slip away. So as I tried to push for soccer, other pieces of my life kind of fell apart. I was really depressed. I had a lot of anxiety. I always felt alone. So it got to the point where I had suicidal tendencies and I was self-harming. So I sat in my room most days. I was, some days I wouldn't get out of bed. And some days I just didn't want to be alive. My sophomore year of college, one of our teammates texted and was like, hey, there's this ministry called Athletes in Action. Is anybody interested in joining? And I was like, I'm gonna go try it out and see what happens. It was kind of like, okay, God, if you don't show up here, then it's over. Like, I don't want to be on this earth anymore. And they gave us this pamphlet called, Do You Want to Know God Personally? And on the back, there was a prayer of, um, it's like, if you're ready to accept Christ into your life, you can pray this prayer. 
And I prayed it that day. And that small thing led into something really big and really miraculous. So, um, so after I prayed to accept Christ in my life, I honestly didn't feel a whole lot different, but I knew something had changed. I just can't really explain it. Um, I had maybe an ounce of hope in me, maybe a 1% that kind of got sparked and kind of got ignited in my life. I'm like, okay, maybe there is a different way out than my own way. And maybe there is something bigger than myself that can help me through this. So it was a 1% spark, I guess. And, um, and it kept me, kept me going. It kept me alive. God met me in my brokenness. He was there still loving me when I wasn't loving myself. I felt him reach out his hand and he's like, Tara, grab it. And I grabbed it and I ran with him. And he never let me go. I felt like this hole in my life got filled and I found a new identity. I saw a huge character change, um, a huge mental change. It was just pure love and grace that was in my life that I just needed to accept. I look forward to living now. I look forward to each day, and I look forward to seeing what God can do through me each day. Life's still not perfect now, but I have a firm foundation, and I have the confidence in God that He can bring me through it because I can't do it on my own, and I can't do it without God and His strength. For somebody who hasn't given God a chance, I would say if there's that 1% in you, that's like maybe take the leap of faith and grab his hand and trust in God that he will pull you through and he will be your 100%.
it's Christmas. Many of you are believers in Christ. So you've experienced the everlasting Father. You've experienced his goodness, his forgiveness, his presence in your life. And it's so good. But maybe some of you are here, one of our campuses are watching online and you're like Tara and you're kind of like, I don't know about this God thing. 1% chance maybe. But maybe you heard something or felt something in your spirit today and you're willing to just give God that 1%. Just kind of reach out, God, it's all I got. But if you're real, would you take my hand? Would you forgive me of sins? Take my fears? Fill this void in my life that I carry almost every single day. Would you do that? Will this be your day? If you've never prayed a prayer to receive Jesus Christ into your life and come home, man, this is your time. You have nothing to lose. You have everything to gain. An everlasting Father who loves you will guide you and fill your life with a different kind of love, a different kind of peace and joy that the world can't give. And so if that's you, if you're watching online, one of our camps, I want to pray. I want to lead you in a prayer. You can just pray it quietly where you are, but everybody bow with you just for a second as we close today. So Lord God, thank you for loving me. I'm bringing my 1% belief. It's all I got. But Lord, I'm willing to reach out to you in faith. And Jesus, as I do that, I pray that you'll grab my hand, heal me where I hurt, forgive my sins, be an everlasting dad to me. Lord Jesus, right here, right now, I am putting my faith in you. It's just 1%. But will you become my 100%? Lord Jesus, save me in this moment. And if you do, I will follow you for the rest of my life and I will try to worship you and obey you and become a new person in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One final thing. If you prayed that prayer, uh, we have resources in our lobby. Next Steps is what it's called. Next Steps, because this is the first step. Got to take a next step. If you're online or just watching or just want to do it through text, you can do it. Text BELIEVE 555-888. We don't want your phone number or anything. We're not going to send you a bunch of stuff you don't want, you know, bother you. We just want to give you a link to some resources. That's all it is if you prayed that prayer. With that, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for coming out. May God bless every single one of you.